So Roots, if you are part of uh, junior high Roots ministry, you can head downstairs to Theater B. Uh, we have a service plan for you down there. I uh, want to remind you today is the first day. Can we turn the echo down just a little bit? That would be great. Today is the first day of the new service time, so we have service at 9 and no longer at 11.10. I don't know how many of you that affects, considering you're here, but some of you may sometimes come to the second service, but just know from this day forward, until we change it again, uh, the second service is at 11 o'clock, so no more 11.10. Uh, thank you for uh, the good crowd that was here uh, as the service started this morning, it was just good to see. Hey, uh, yesterday was the operation overhaul where we show up at Grace and we clean up. And I think we have a slide. This was all the people that showed up. So let's thank all those people. It was great. I just want to remind you, when we do, do those kind of things, uh, it's just it's just bonding. There's something about running around and getting sweaty and playing in the dirt and talking and laughing and finding lost cell phones and all of that. It just becomes part of the experience and part of bonding. So when we do these service projects, I would just encourage you to be there. Even if you're not sure your back can hold up, to, we'll give you something to do where it can. You can be the one that delivers waters or whatever works for you. But there's just something great about when we all show up and do that. So I want to encourage you as we move forward and have these service projects to be a part of it. It's, just, it's great for us as a big church have a chance to do some things in smaller community and, and get to know each other. Hey, uh, baseball started yesterday for Eagle uh, Children's Charities. We have about 40 baseball teams, almost 600 kids. Right now, probably be over 600 kids. Yeah. Uh, but here's the deal. We're short a few coaches. Um, if you coached your kids, maybe even if you haven't coached, but you always wish you had, and maybe your, coaches, your kids have aged out and you still love that, um, meet Terry at the information counter and tell him that you can coach. It's a, it's a pretty um, manageable commitment. A practice once a week, a couple games during the week. Uh, the season is only seven weeks long, so it's, it's pretty manageable. Uh, but we have two or three teams that are still coachless, and uh, they need somebody to step in that gap and uh, be a coach to them. So if you can do that, information counter would be great. Hey, this morning's going to be a little bit different. This is what we call Vision Sunday. Um, you would have no idea how much pressure that puts on the lead pastor to have Vision Sunday. you got to bring it on Sunday, Vision Sunday, don't you? But anyway, uh, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to talk a little bit about who we are as a church. I'm going to look back a little bit at last year, and I'm going to look forward to next year. So if today is your first day at Grace, just know uh, we don't do Vision Sunday every Sunday, um, but we are doing it today. So uh, let me start this morning just by talking about who we are as a church and how do we live into our, our mission here at Grace. What is our mission? We are... I could hear Jess over there. You were shouting it out. That was good. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. But, but how do we do that? How do we live into it? And that's going to be a big part of what I want to talk about today. So grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. You should know where to find Ephesians by now. We've been in a series on Ephesians for quite some time. We're going to read verses 4 through 10. I started praying, God, like, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? What passage do you want me to use? Sometimes it's harder when we're when we kind of have a, a clean slate, when we're teaching through a, a book of the Bible, then I know what i got to preach the next week because it's right there in front of me. And as I was praying, I really felt like the Lord impressed on me that he'd already given me the passage to teach and that we've really been talking about who we are as a church for the last eight weeks or so as we've been through this series called He Is, I Am, So What? The Study of Ephesians. Because really Ephesians is this beautiful picture of who God is and, and because of who God is, who we are to be 
as a church. And I really felt like he brought me back to some of the, the things that we've learned along the way as we studied Ephesians. So uh, next week, we're actually going to finish the series, and we're going to talk about putting on the armor of God, being ready to do battle. And that's what we do as we walk out our faith with Jesus. So make sure you're here next week as we wrap up that series. But let's read Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. Paul writes, Because of his, God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms within Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So keep your Bibles open to Ephesians. We're going to stay there um, throughout the morning, but allow me to pray. Lord, I do pray right now that as we, as we have Vision Sunday, that you would um, help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to be moved, to be involved where you want us to be involved. Lord, our prayer every Sunday is that we would leave different than we came because we interacted with the living God. And I pray even through the words that we sang and the words that we're going to sing and, and the words that I teach that uh, we would experience the living God and that something would happen inside of us that would cause us to make a shift, to live differently today than we did yesterday. Because you are all about transformation. You're about healing. You're about restoration. Lord, help us to be a mosaic, striving to live like Jesus. Amen? So look at verse 4. There is this powerful phrase that he starts with that's worth our attention. It's actually worth a good portion of meditation. It's if, if, you, if you thought of just one thing today and just let it stay on your mind throughout the day, this would be a phrase that you could put a lot of attention to and a lot of meditation to. So verse 4 starts with the words, but because of his great love for us. I'm not sure why I'm teaching from my notes and not my iPad, but I did that last week too. Maybe God's trying to tell me to get rid of the iPad. Huh. All right, sorry about that. Because of his great love for us. What the passage is saying, if you look at the, the previous few verses, is that we were lost. We were, we were in bondage. We were in sin. It says that we were, 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 were doing all the things that our, our hearts desired, that we were, we were satisfying the cravings of the flesh. Really what it's saying is that we were, we were enemies of God. And then it says, but because of his great love for us. This is a fundamental truth that we have to stand on as a church. What this passage is saying is that, is that God, who is rich in mercy, rich in compassion, God who has this covenant love, he has promised something to us. He loves us beyond our wildest imagination. He is the initiator. He is the one that saves. He is the one that does the work. And he does this through his son, Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of, of Jesus, it's because God has made that understanding clear to you. God is the one who moves towards us. And our job is to respond to the movement of God in our lives. But sometimes we get that mixed up and we become prideful and think that we figured something out, that we became so smart that we figured out who God is and who Jesus is, and we made a decision. And what, what Paul is trying to help us to understand throughout Ephesians is that God is the one who reveals 
himself to us. And that keeps us grounded, and that keeps us humble. God is the one who saved us. And here's the deal. We exist as a church, and we exist as followers of Jesus to tell others about a God who loves them in spite of what they've done, in spite of what they're going to do, but God loves them simply because they are. We exist as a church to grow in our own understanding of God's love, to have a deeper comprehension of of how much God loves us, and then to make that love known to our neighbors and to our friends and to one another here in the body and to the world. So look at verse 7. It says that God saved us and God pours out his love on us in order that in the coming ages, which we would be part of the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness of to us in Christ Jesus. What God does in us and what God does through us is for the purpose of displaying his love to others. Nothing can compare to the love of God, right? Nothing holds a candle to to how much God loves us, and we exist as a church to tell the world about God's love. That's our, our mission. That's what we're called to do. It says in verse 7 that that God's love was so much that he did all this and he expressed it in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So the fullness of God's love was displayed in the life, in the death, in the resurrection of Christ. How do we know that God loves us? Well, we know because God sent his son, his only begotten son, because he loved the world so much, to die for all of us. So in Christ, we see this picture of God's love. In Christ, we see how much God loves us, and we exist to make sure that others know about that love. The Great Commission really is telling the world about the love of God expressed through the person of Jesus. And to make sure we don't miss what Paul is is writing, he summarizes everything in verses 8 and 9. He says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. In other words, remember, you didn't do it. It's by grace you've been saved. This is not from yourself. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, he's going to talk about works in a couple minutes, but he's saying that, look, the works aren't there to save you. God does the saving. God saves us in spite of us. God moves towards us while we're still giving him the Heisman and while we're still enemies. So what does this mean? It means that you can't clean yourself up enough to come to God. So if you're waiting to get your act together before you choose to follow Jesus, then you're missing the point completely. Because what Jesus is saying, choose to follow me and I will help you to get your life together. I will help you to get your act together. Sometimes we think we have to do something or be something before we can come to God. But what the passage is telling us is while we were a wreck, while we were covered in sin, while we were enemies of God, God did the work and we are free to move towards him. And our job is to tell the world about that kind of God, a God that loves people beyond their wildest imagination. Here's the kicker though. We show the love of God to others when we live into and out of the very persons that God made us to be. How do we show God's love? How do we show God's love as a church? How do we live into this mission of showing God's love? Well, we live into it by being the very people God created us to be. So look at verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
I talk about this passage a lot at Grace. Actually, uh, 8 through 10 for me is like a, a beautiful summary that we ought to just all memorize. We ought to know. We, it ought to become part of who we are. It needs to be a part of, of the DNA of our church. We are God's workmanship. You've heard me say this before, but the word workmanship is a, is a word poema. It's the same word we get poem from. You are God's poem. You are God's work of art. You cannot think about that too much. You cannot, you, this is one of those things that you have to allow to just permeate your inner being because who we are is so important. Knowing that God made you as a work of art is so important to being able to do the things that God wants to do. You are God's work of art. God is infinitely creative, and he created you as a work of art as an expression of himself. Think about that. When an artist creates art, it is an expression of their emotion. It's a very emotional thing for an artist to produce something, that's, whether it's a painting or a song, they are expressing something that's going on inside of them. So, so the God of the universe, God created you to express who he is. That's why this whole Bruce Jenner thing is so sad to me. Because God created them to be who he is. Not to change who he is and be something different. And I'm, I'm not trying to get all political here and bring up a topic that's going to mess with people. But the truth is, if, if he knew who he was, if he knew that God created them as a work of art, then he would be satisfied with who he was. We all have a bit of this inside of us that we have to understand that God created us to be an expression of who he is. How cool is that? God is expressing himself through the way he created you. And we tell others about this God, this creative, this amazing, this God who's so amazing and so creative when we do the things that God has called us to do. So in verse 10, it says we do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I say this all the time, but God made you a work of art to make art. Every person in this room who's a follower of Jesus has a calling. Do you know that? Every one of you has a calling. That's what this verse is saying. I prepared a good work for every single person who says yes to Jesus. I have a good work for you to do. And when you do those good works, that's how the world's going to know how much I love them. It's through the good works that you do that the church becomes the church and we do the things we're called to do. Each of our, us are called to do good works. The word works there in, in Ephesians 2.10 is the same word that, that Jesus used to describe his miracles. So when he says in, in John 10, he says, if you don't believe in me, believe in the good works that I do. I believe in the miracles that I'm doing. So there's this picture of of, of the very things that, that Jesus is doing is the, is the art that God called him to do. That's the good works. If you look up that word in a in a Bible dictionary works, it says anything accomplished by hand like art or, don't miss this, industry. I like that because it means you can lay tile for a living, you could be an electrician, you could own a business, you could clean houses, you could be a stay-at-home mom, you could be a stay-at-home dad, you could mow lawns, you could write music, you could sing. Whatever it is you do, if it's the thing that God prepared for you to do, then you can do it as a work of art. This isn't about being artistic as we define the word. It's not about singing. It's not about uh, having the ability to play an instrument. It's about doing the thing that God has called you to do. You can be an accountant 
and make art. I know that's hard for some of us to imagine, but you can, because that's what it's saying. God made you a work of art to make art. And when you do what God created to do, it's an expression of God's workmanship. It's an expression of his love. Our mission here is at Grace is to help you find out what are the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. You're still in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians 4. Paul's talking to the leaders of the church, and, and he's calling them out, and he's saying, you as leaders of the church, you need to work together to prepare God's people for works of service. We exist to prepare. We, the, the church, Grace Community Church, exists to prepare you for the good works that God has put in place. We are to prepare you to make art. And here's the deal. It's so important as we read through Ephesians, as we look at the passage we read this week, that everything we do is grounded in the love of the Father. Everything we do, our acts of service, our good works, and our obedience to God has to be rooted in this deep understanding of how much God loves us. We spent the last few weeks talking about ethics. We've had sermon after sermon about ethics. We've talked about not having even a hint of sexual immorality. We've talked about uh, submitting to one another. Just over and over all these verses about ethics. But can I tell you that if you're just trying to do those things as a list of rules, then you are following a religion. And this isn't a religion. We're not pushing a religion. We are, we are helping you understand that there is a God who loves you so much that that love will compel you to live a different sort of life. The motivation for everything we do, service and obedience, has to be grounded in God's love. So let me explain this in a different sort of way. So uh, when I was back in the day, in the business years uh, in retail, um, I heard the statistic, and I had to go back and look it up to get the exact number, but 80% of people that work for you will steal from the cash register if they think they'll get away with it. So if they have really no fear of getting caught, if you have no systems in place, get it. 80% of the people will steal from you. So guess what? When I heard that statistic, I decided, well, we should probably put some systems in place so that some people won't steal from us. They say if there's no systems, 10% of people will still steal from you, but that's a pretty big difference. So we put in cameras and we put in cash control policies and, and all kinds of, of systems so that it would be difficult for someone. And guess what? We started to make more money. We started to have more money at the end of the day. Go figure. It all worked out. But th what was the motivation for people for not stealing from me at that point? It wasn't because they liked me anymore. It wasn't because they were any more ethical. It was just that they didn't want to get caught. Right. So the, the idea here that I'm trying to help us to understand is that, that God isn't just calling us to a higher motivation out of fear of retribution. God isn't even calling us to, to be obedient to these things that we read about in Ephesians because we want to look good or we want to avoid problems or, or even because we just want God to bless us or we want to be good to our families. A lot, those are all good things. It's all good and well. That's, that's a, it's a good part of your motivation. There's wisdom in those things. But our primary motivation has to be higher than, than just ethics. It has to be the love of God. So what did Jesus say to his disciples in John 14? He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandment. If you love me, then you'll keep my commandment. Not if you want me to bless you, you'll keep my commandment. Not if you want to stay out of trouble, you'll keep my commandment. Not if you want to have a good marriage, you'll keep my commandment. As a matter of fact, if you keep his commandments, you will stay out of trouble and you will have a better marriage. But that's not what our primary motivation is to be. Our primary motivation has to be this 
unfailing understanding of this God who loves us beyond our wildest imagination, who has this covenant, passionate love for us. And what is the commandment that we'll keep? He says, well, here's the command that I give to you, that you love others the way I've loved you. Right? It's, it's all wrapped up in this, if I understand how much God loves me, and if I really experience God's love, then I'll be able to love others the same way. So if you struggle with this a little bit, even as I talk about it, and I, I've been talking about this throughout the week as I hung out with my friends, and, 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 and I get that this is kind of a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around, but, but I want you to understand something, that, that we're not the first people to struggle with it. Think about King David. We have this portrait of this amazing young boy who just sort of seems to sit in the love of God, right? He becomes this amazing worshiper. He writes the Psalms, many of the Psalms. He's a, he's a musician, but he's just a, he's a shepherd that just spends his time marveling about the love of God. He is so taken in by how much God loves him. And so God takes this little shepherd and he makes him the king of Israel, right? Well, somewhere along the way, what we know from the story is is David takes his eyes off of God. He stops thinking about how much God loves him, and he becomes self-sufficient. He becomes his own man. And so he sleeps with a married woman, and she becomes pregnant, and he kills her husband. He took his eyes off of God, and look at how quickly his religion couldn't save him. Look how quickly he stepped out of the, the normal boundaries when he took his eyes off of God. And here's the thing, when David finally came to his senses, remember his friend Nathan came and gave him the lecture or the story, and, and he, he had this moment. He writes right after that the, what we know as the 51st Psalm. And 51st Psalm says this, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. So he's, he's got his mind on God. He's thinking about how much God loves him. He's back to that, wait a minute, and it doesn't matter what I've done. There's a God of the universe who has this covenant love for me, and, and he loves me beyond my wildest imagination. This unfailing love, according to great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sins, for I know my transgressions and my sin are always before me. But then he says these crazy words. He says, against you, only you have I sinned. I read that, and I think, yeah, but what about Uriah? He's dead. Like, what about Bathsheba? You, you took her. What about that family that was destroyed because of the decision you made? And he's not making less of all of that, but what wrecks him is that he knows how much God loves him. He knows that there's a God who loves him beyond his wildest imagination, and he betrayed the love of God, and he says, against you and only you have I sinned. This is a powerful moment for us to think about how often are we wrecked when we step out of the boundaries because we're out of God's favor, because God loves us, and we betrayed this love of the Father. It's just a different motivation, a different way for us, and we exist as a church to help people get to that place where David was, where they know the love of the Father, because when you live out of the love of the Father, then you can be obedient to the things in Scripture. If you do it for any other reason, then it's just religion, and we do not want to push a religion. We want you to fall in love with a God who loves you beyond your wildest imagination. We exist as a church to make Ephesians 2.10 a reality, to help people discover the good works that God created for them to do because that's what's going to make the church effective. I want to take a few minutes and kind of look back over the last 12 months and, 
And the thing that stands out to me the most when I look back over the last year is, is when you talk to the experts, the church growth experts, the people who, who consult churches, they would say to us and, and did say to us, this is going to be a really hard for great year for grace. You're going to see a drop in attendance. It's going to be a difficult thing for you to go through the transition that you're going through. It's just going to be a tough year for your ministries. They're going to struggle to, to find their way and to move forward. But I would say as we look back that none of that is the case. It's really not how this has played out. And we did go through a difficult transition. And in a lot of ways, it was a, a hard year. But somehow, the church flourished in the midst of that year. It's because of God. I think one of the home runs for us over the last year was hiring Norflet and Shanae and having them join. Norflet has become a, a dear friend, uh, but he is such an integral part of, of our core team. He has a, uh, a passion that is, just, is different. He has a love for God that just inspires me. Uh, he's a man of prayer. Uh, it's just he's a, a great asset to the team. So uh, just a, a wonderful thing that if we look back on last year of things to celebrate, um, I think it's hard to rank which ones are number one and two, but that certainly is at the top of the list, hiring and we're flat and having Shanae come alongside and, and helping us do the prayer ministry. It's just been, it's been an awesome thing for us as a church. I have no doubt that having John and Laura come is going to be uh, similar this year. So I'm super glad. One of the things we decided last year is that we needed to, to foster a culture of prayer. And here's the deal. This church has always understood prayer. We've always been a church that prays. Prayer has always been a part of how we do something, but it really felt early on that in, this, in, in my tenure here that we didn't have this culture of prayer where prayer was the first thing we did. Often prayer was something we did after things started to not work out very well, so we'd put together a plan, and then we would start the plan, and then we'd be like, this isn't working very well. I got an idea. We should pray. <laughs> what, you know? And then we'd all come together, we'd pray, and I think God was very gracious and he would show up. But I think God is saying, I got an idea. Why don't you guys start by praying? I know, novel, right? So, so we decided we're going we're gonna to really start to foster a culture of prayer. And here is what I would say. I, I think we have just begun that journey. But it is more a part of our culture than it was 12 months ago. And one of the things we, we ask is that everyone pray for grace at 930 every morning. I actually think that this is going to become... Uh, bigger than grace. I actually have this picture of this being something that's happening throughout the city. I, I have a picture of billboards throughout the city of Detroit that just say 9.30 a.m. prayer, and people are setting their alarms, and they're praying for the, and churches are praying for their churches, and, and we are praying for the city of Detroit and, and the suburbs, and I just think this could be bigger. But right now, what I'm asking is that you set your alarms for 9.30 every morning, you pray for us. And we now have over a thousand people who have committed to pray for us 9.30 every morning. I was riding in a car with my friends, Thursday morning, and one of their alarms went off, and it gave me a chance just to stop and sit quietly and pray uh, for grace and pray for what God is doing. So if you haven't done it, take out your phones right now, and you'll miss the next couple minutes what I'm talking about. But set your alarms for daily at, at 9.30 a.m. When it goes off, just pray for me, pray for the staff, pray for the church, pray that God would do immeasurably more. Here's what we know. Every revival in the history of, of Christianity, every revival has started with a movement of prayer. And we want revival here at Grace. We want revival in what's going on. So we're going to cover it in prayer. 
The other opportunity for you to be a part of shifting this culture is to be here a half hour before both services. We pray for 15 minutes. So if you show here 8.30, from 8.30 to 8.45, we pray. At 8.45, you can go get your kids plugged into their uh, area of, of, of ministry, or you can go to the cafe and get your coffee and, and whatever you need. But that 15 minutes really has a way of just settling things here at Grace and helping us to, I, I always say it prepares us for church and it prepares the church for church but we average maybe 25 to 30 people that's we had 35 people this morning at the 8:30 prayer but the goal was to really get to 100 people there's something about a critical mass showing up and i've had some conversations with people who talked about how hard it'd be to do that with their kids and kind of challenge them that i think you can do it and they've started coming and they bring their kids and here's what i want to tell you this is a great thing for our kids to see us depending on prayer before we start church is just a great thing for them to see. So let's just uh, make a commitment, if you can, to be here at 8.30 or to be here at 10.30 and pray with us. And let's get to that 100 so that we can really um, prepare ourselves for what God's going to do. One of the highlights last year has to be the Church Without Curtain study. Uh, when we started that whole thing, we said we were going to try to get 800 to 1,000 people participating in a church-wide study. Uh, we ended up having 850 people sign up for it, which was amazing. And we also ended up going from about 25 small groups to uh, just uh, almost 80 small groups, which is an amazing thing when you think about it. When we, we think about this church, if you've been here a long time, you know part of our DNA has been small group ministry, that, that we know that you have to be connected with other people outside of the Sunday morning. And, and so this really breathed life into our small group ministry. It really it doubled the number of small groups we have meeting on a regular basis and really began to push us in a different direction. And I think we knew God was calling us to do something, uh, but I think Meg and I would both agree that we didn't know how much God was really going to do th through the study when we were writing it. But I wanted to take a minute and I wanted to read just a few quotes from A Church Without Curtains. The Church Without Cur Curtains study has helped me to finally understand that God loves me. Think about that in light of our mission to help people understand the love of God. The study has taught me a lot about myself. I never knew how much I was hiding from not only myself, but from God, I feel a sense of freedom stirring inside, and it's just beginning. The curtain study helped me to slow down and process through things I put between me and God. It helped me to be honest about who I was and how God still loves me. There seems to be a theme here. Through the study, I received so much more than I expected. I am known and loved. Asking God to search me and know my heart regularly over eight weeks of the curtain study was powerful. He showed me things that grieved him, but he also assured me of his compassion, patience, forgiveness, and love for me. This walk has been filled with many tender moments of pain and joy. This study has opened my eyes in realizing that God's love is unconditional, no matter what. Even as a long-term veteran of various small group experiences, as well as Bible studies, a church without curtains still opened up some new ideas to me and God worked through this passage and questions to reaffirm that I am God's masterpiece. We experience God's love in sort of a new way. Something happened through that study in the church and we literally leaned back into one of our six essentials that we connect with one another, that we are actually doing life in a smaller setting where we can challenge one another. 
Some of the other highlights looking back over last year that I just want you to hear because I think it's amazing. And if you have your bulletin, some of it's in here. We, we tried to put together a piece that's a little bit different for you, but you can look at this later. But we had over 750 people show up for uh, Kids Stuff Family Fun Night. Think about that. 750 people showed up to just have a party here at Grace, and we had over 50 new families that night. It was an incredible way for us to tell people about the love of God. We set a goal that we were going to raise $300,000 for impact, and we ended up raising $325,000. You should clap for that for sure. Keep in mind, we gave all that money away, or I should say we're giving all that money away. We're still in the process of giving away all that. We baptized 55 people who are new to the faith. You should clap for that too. We've utilized in the last year over 700 volunteers. We gave away 12,000 bags of groceries through my father's business. <laughs> through SOAR, we've utilized 260 volunteers that taught over 130 kids to read at or above grade level. <laughs> we offered quality sports to 1,600 kids in the city of Detroit. We completed a, a dream of mine and built a $1.7 million baseball facility for the youth in Detroit. <laughs> Through our partners, we saw 561 Muslims come to Christ. <laughs> we baptized 338 of them. And just think about that. Think about the news. Think about ISIS. Think about the, the difficulty of somebody changing from being Muslim to following Jesus and what that means for them and the commitment they're making. That is an amazing statistic. We also rescued 40 young girls from sex trafficking through our partners. <laughs> the truth is, the list goes on, and, and, and the experts said that we were going to struggle this year. Isn't that cool? But God is moving. And God is doing something at Grace, and he's positioning Grace for something special. He's preparing us for the good work that he has ahead for us. He's preparing us to make art. He's preparing us to do something spectacular. So as we look ahead to next month, I just want to highlight a few of the things that are ahead. We have an opportunity to, to really think about uh, a lot of different things, but one of the things that I think we need to talk about more and we need to get more intentional is about financial stewardship. I know everybody shifts in their seat now because I brought up money. But the truth of the matter is Jesus talked about money a lot. And we're going to do that this year. And we're going to do it unapologetically because we need to be better at financial giving. We need to be better in our financial stewardship. And we need to know that our hearts are connected to the way we give. And so we've actually started to consult some outsiders to help us think about how do we teach differently to this? How do we have different conversations? And, and here's what I want you to know. This isn't a money grab. This is a discipleship issue. And we're going to be more intentional over the next year of talking about money and how we should handle money. And I just want to encourage you to ask the Lord every time we talk about God, what does this mean for me? And just trust our hearts. Again, this isn't a money grab. This is about discipleship. This is about stewardship. And it was important to Jesus, and it should be important to us. We are going to talk about it in the coming year. So I don't know if all of you know this, but one of the things that's going to happen is uh, in just next Saturday, Meg and I are going to leave uh, for Israel. We're going there for five and a half weeks, and I'm going to study uh, as part of my seminary training. So I'm going to be gone starting Saturday. Um, while I'm gone, we are going to have a series here at Grace 
that uh, I'm excited about. And really, the, the series is just called Exchange. And it's conversations that, that really change everything. Conversations. And so we're going to talk about prayer. Do we really have an expectation that our prayers matter? Do we really expect God to do something through our prayers? So we're going to spend five weeks talking about prayer. And Northlight's going to teach a couple. And Martin Sanders is going to come back and teach a couple. And Bryce is going to teach some of it. But I really want to encourage you to be here, a part of it. As we try to foster this culture of prayer, I think this series can be an important part of it. When I return from Israel, we're going to do a series called Proof. And what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to kind of collect my thoughts as I'm in Israel and kind of bring back a little bit of the, the things that we see that really helps us to understand that what we believe in Scripture is actually true. There's all kinds of evidence in uh, what we're going to see. So I'm going to kind of just maybe what I did on my summer vacation will be kind of the... <laughs> we were going to call the series that, but we didn't think anybody would show up. But uh, that's going to happen in, as soon as we get back. Here's one of the things that I'm super excited about. We're going to... Uh, we're going to do another church-wide study, uh, but this year we're going to do Alpha. Alpha is uh, probably the most effective evangelistic tool in the last decade. The impact that Alpha is having worldwide is, is really phenomenal, and so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to try to get everyone at Grace participating in Alpha, but, what, but the goal is to get 500 participating from Grace and to get 300 people from outside of Grace. That means you need to invite your friends to be here, it means you need to invite your neighbors to be here. I guess even if your neighbors aren't your friends, that didn't come out exactly the way I wanted it to. But the idea is that we're going to have it. So we're going to have it here at Grace. We're going to have it on Tuesday nights. We're going to have Alpha in, in every room, if you will. We're going we're gonna to do it there. We're going to have it in homes. So a lot of people are going to host it in their homes. Um, but one of the things I'm super excited about is we're also going to do it in what I call third spaces. So we're going to meet in restaurants. We're going to meet in coffee houses. We're going to meet wherever we can find a venue to offer Alpha. We're going to meet there. So you may be in a small group, and your small group may decide, hey, we want to do one of these third space locations so you can talk to a restaurant and, and get a, a second room that they have, and, and you guys show up there, and you bring your friends, and you can order off the menu, and then you can do Alpha. And what I'm envisioning is that whether you live in Detroit or St. Clair Shores or Gross Point or Harper Woods, like you really can't get away from this Alpha thing. It's happening in our coffee houses. It's happening in our restaurants. One of the places I would really like to see it happen is at Atwater Brewery. For those of you who know, there's a brewery on Kirchwald that used to be a church, and I just think it would be a cool thing to take the church back to the brewery and show up. Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? So Alpha's going to be huge, and honestly, it will require everyone in this room praying about what, it is, what, what do you want me to do, Lord? What, how do you want me to be a part of this? Who do you want me to invite? If you already have a small group, I would love for your small group to already be talking about it. How are we going to do this? Are we going to do it in somebody's home? Do we want to do it at Grace? Are we going to all invite friends and, and meet in one of these third spaces? But you're going to have to think through this. And, and, and one of our six essentials is influence. Look, we have to be telling more people about the love of God. We have to be telling more people about the love of God. I want every seat in this place filled. Why? Because every empty seat is someone who is not hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Alpha is going to be an incredible way for us to just expand our influence and have a huge impact. I have this picture of a celebration service at the end of Alpha, and I think we will baptize 75 to 100 new believers. And just think about what an amazing service that will be when we see all those people being baptized.
One of the things that'll happen is, as Alpha concludes is we'll just, uh, it'll breathe life into our Tuesdays at Grace Ministry and we'll be able to offer you all kinds of options uh, starting in the winter for you to plug into and to continue um, studying. A couple things I want to share. Um, so here's what happens today. When the service is over, uh, you vote on the budget. And uh, there are only a few things that we as members vote on at Grace. You vote on the lead pastor. You vote on elder candidates. Uh, you vote on any changes to the Constitution, and every year you vote on the budget. Today is the day we vote on the budget, and I just felt like I needed to give you a little bit of a financial snapshot to help you to know uh, whether or not you're ready to vote for the budget and tell you what the budget is. But this is also in that little brochure that you have in the, uh, near the back. It has some of the summary of the numbers. Um, if you're not ready to vote when the service is over, uh, you can go to the chapel, and we're going to be able to sit there with more detailed information and, and share that with you. But last year, the total budget that was approved was uh, $2.25 million. And this year, we're asking for you to approve a budget of $2.35 million, which means that we're asking for an increase in the total budget of just under $100,000, or almost exactly $100,000. Um, last year, our total income was $1,900,000. In $88,000, and our expenses were $1,988,000. Actually, we had a surplus of $455, but I'm fairly convinced that that's probably a mathematical error somewhere. God probably gave us to the penny of what we needed to do the ministry we did. But part of our commitment when we do the budget process is that we will continue to be as fiscally responsible as we can be. And we will try to make sure that we're always in the black by the end of the year. Uh, and I'm just excited that uh, God showed up again this year, and, and here we are. Um, just so you know, we currently have about $450,000 in the bank. Uh, we have almost no debt. We have a house uh, that was Brian's house, but that house just sold. We should definitely clap for that, for Brian and for them. So by the end of this month, we will literally have zero debt, which is an amazing thing for a church of size and very rare. And just so you know, that $450,000 really represents about three months, a little more than three months of operating capital. And while it seems like, oh, wow, that's a ton of money, we're, we want to make sure that we have money in the bank, that we're ready for any kind of surprises that come along and, and able to just be are responsible and continue to make a commitment to you to, to operate the church debt-free. So again, if, if you have more questions, we can meet in the chapel. And one of the things we want to do um, today is uh, I want to invite the elders and the staff to come up, and I want to ask them to pray for me and for Meg and for Jake as we get ready to leave for Israel. So as I told you, we're flying out Saturday. Uh, it's going to be a big deal. And uh, I just want them to have a chance to pray for us and pray with us. And then we're going to sing one more worship song. So I'm not sure if the band got that memo. You can come up. You can come up. Be good if you came up because I don't want to keep stalling with words. Um, staff and elders are going to come and pray. And then we're going to sing uh, one more song and celebrate. And again, as you're leaving today, you can just go to the information counter if you are a member and you can vote on the budget. If you have more questions, out the door to the left to the chapel. We have a detailed budget there. And we're going to take some time and answer any questions you might have. You coming back? I am. For those of you who don't know, this is my lovely wife, Meg. Yeah. <laughs> and my lovely son, Jacob. And um, 
Casey is also joining us. Casey lives in China, but she's going to join us uh, for three weeks while we're there as well. So we're pretty excited to see her. I keep saying I'm going to really embarrass her in the airport. She's not the touchy-feely type, but she will be when I see her in the airport. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for our lead pastor. Still so pleased to be able to say that. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, the way you've just made everything work out. For Doug and Meg to be able to be there for, as Doug goes on his side trips, as he learns more about you and where you walked, that Meg does have Jake with her, that Casey will be joining them so that she's not by herself. Lord, we just ask you to have Doug grow that much closer to you, Meg grow that much closer to you through this process. As he said, you call us and we're to respond, and this is a great way that you've called them. And we just ask that when they come back, they're clearly transformed, they're clearly that much closer to you. And Lord, we just thank you so much for the team that you've given us here, for Norflet, for Martin to be able to come in, for Bryce to be able to preach. We just ask you to bless them, to speak clearly through them, and just continue to propel our church forward. Thank you so much for what you've done here, what you'll continue to do. And again, above all, bless Doug and Meg over these next few weeks. Amen. Amen. Um, I just want to say that while we're gone, we will miss all of you very much, thanks and very we much. will be praying for you. That's so right. thanks for your prayers. Whatever time I pray this. So we're going to pray Ever Be, the song that we sing. I guess I'm not talking anymore. They didn't know um, I was asking them to do this, but when we were singing the song, I was just thinking, this is, this is what I've been talking about, that God's love would ever be on our lips, that God's love would be front and center, that, that we would be. So I just think it's a great way to, to end um, today, a great reminder to us that this really is our, our mission at Grace, that God's love would ever be. Thanks.